0: Welcome to the family with.
1: Co host Catherine Brandt. Alex Brandt Bernard Rasmussen. Melissa Kirk.
0: Andy Brandt Bernard.
1: And Cassie Schrader.
0: A couple of great guests this hour. David Brown in the uh, second uh, half of the hour. He wrote a book about Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Uh, coming up next, Rick Riley, Commander in Cheat. <laughs> That's the <laughs> name of the book. We'll be right back with Rick Riley and the family. Where's the manager? tune in every thursday from 2 to 3 central or download it on the tom bernard podcast page i don't know i think i'm gonna have to think about it
2: It's been good. <laughs> it's
0: been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. Been good. And how do they contact you?
2: At uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, com, at 800 com, or at eight hundred seven seven zero seven zero zero eight. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Mm.
0: Good music today, sister that's all i know we're stacked uh, this hour darkness dave hit the road but thanks to darkness for coming in I always like talking to him on the show tell me when mr riley's ready to go and we'll he's on the phone it. oh he is good excellent mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen rick riley commander here, in cheat how golf explains trip how are you doing sir i'm good how's it going there marvelously well. Uh, I do this afternoon show, and then I also do a morning show in Minneapolis on KQRS Radio, and uh, we talked last week about this. I'm wow. so glad to see you on the docket for the afternoon show as well. That's all I do is work, Rick.
3: I hear you, buddy.
0: <laughs> no, actually, we talked about... Uh, I hear you. We talked about playing golf. You made some great points. Uh, the, the book's called Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump, an outrageous indictment of Donald Trump's appalling behavior when it comes to golf on and off the green and, whatever it reve- and what it reveals about his character. Well, first of all, um, anybody that has to tell you over and over again, I'm the president, is kind of odd to me. Yeah. Um, although I do think that you should take, take the lead from Donald Trump and you should call yourself the Rick What do you think? He went with the Donald, so you could go with the Rick.
3: Well, I think it was taken. Remember that ad on ESPN for years? Here at the Rick, (laughs) it was a guy that had no life. Yeah, that's kind of my life. So that's fine. (laughs) That was
0: right. the Rick. I forgot about that. Oh, God, that's phenomenal. Yeah, Um, yeah, uh, we talked about. Now, you've never played golf with Donald Trump, have you? Yes. Oh,
3: yes. Yes, I have. In fact, uh, oh, God, I... it's quite an experience playing golf with Donald Trump because he doesn't just lie about himself. I mean, he lies about his handicap, says he's a 3, he's really a 10. He lies about winning 20 club championships. But what he doesn't tell you <laughs> is that whenever he opens a new course, he he plays the new course the first round by himself and declares that the club championship. So about half sure. of those, 20 of those, the other half are like fake. He won one... <laughs> While he was in Philadelphia and the tournament was in New Jersey, he won one as president when he was in Singapore, and they were holding okay. it in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> so, yeah. so when you play with him, so he lies about himself, but then he lies about you. Like, he's walking me around, and at that time I was with Sports Illustrated, and he was like, this is Rick Riley, he's the publisher of Sports Illustrated. Or this is Rick Riley, he's the managing editor of Sports Illustrated. I'm like, no. <laughs> No, I'm just a writer. And then he'd be like, uh, oh, this is Luigi. He was, voted, uh, he was voted best spaghetti chef in the world. And Luigi's looking at me like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> and I'm like, why do you lie about me? Why are you saying about me? You don't have to lie about me. And he's like, ah, it sounds better. And I remember my buddy had dinner with him in Melania in 2016. And she mm-hmm. said, well, where, where are you from, Melania? This is the first time they'd met her. And she said, I am from Slovenia. And Trump turns to her and says, say Austria, it sounds better. Oh, my God. Austria from Austria. I mean, just, this is nut-making. This is crazy.
0: I think it's wonderful. It's just that anybody that lives in that world, is, is this all about, and I, the last time I talked to you after we were done talking, I wanted to, uh, I thought of this whole situation. Is this all because his father pushed and pushed and pushed and he was a very successful man? Is this all about trying to compete with daddy?
3: Well, you know, I got I had a long talk with, the, with Trump's biographer, a woman named Gwenda Blair. She's written three, three books about his life. And she said, it absolutely is. The, the father
4: yeah. would take the
3: boys, yep. never the girls. And say you have to win, win at all costs. I want you to be a winner. Um, and so he didn't. His father didn't play golf. So Trump didn't play golf until so he got to college, and he learned in Philadelphia at this uh, at the municipal inner city course called the Cobb's Creek, Well, Cobb's Creek sure. happens to be a hotbed for gamblers, con artists, hustlers. You know the kind of guys like you're playing him in a match. It comes down to 18, and he can't find his ball. And then he says, "I found it, and it's not possible because you're standing on his ball." <laughs> that was,
4: that was <laughs> yeah.
3: the thing that happened at Cobb's Creek. So he somehow got the idea in college that you got to cheat your opponent before he cheats you. And the book is full of stories, not just cheating, uh, not just cheating anybody—cheating Tiger Woods, cheating Mike Tirico. I mean, oh, sure. uh, Doc River, just a bunch of stuff. So but also cheating people that he owed money to. Like, he about broke this one architect. He owed him 500 grand and ended up giving him about 100. Uh, he got sued by the the little company, a little guy named Carlos Enriquez in Miami who painted Doral and was owed 300, and Donald wouldn't pay it. <laughs> right. And they said, why? He paid you enough. He had to sue the standing president of the United States and won. God. And, and, and fees. So wait. It's like the world's upside
0: down. Like we have a guy that doesn't pay his bills running the country. You know, Rick, let me ask you a question because it's always confused me about these people. Will do anything for money. They'll cheat their friends. They'll cheat everybody. Comes in just all about money. But uh, as an example of a. There was a guy in, in Minneapolis named Erwin Jacobs, and he, you know, worth a couple hundred million dollars. He was a corporate raider back in the '80s. And his wife came down with uh, dementia, and she was in a wheelchair, so he shot her and then shot himself. So all of that money made Jesus. no difference. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a hell of a story. It just happened uh, last week,
3: Rick. Well, it, it, not to correct you, but money. it's not about money for Trump. Because Trump, no? Trump really? is very generous. And no, it's not about money. He'll pay for the caddies. He, of course, it's his club. And he only plays his club, by the way. And he has mm-hmm. a Jerry Riggs cart that he goes 50 miles an hour, and no one else is get to have it. <laughs> but it's just about feeding you. It's just about saying he kicked your ass. Like with me, really, he took a give me he in. He wrote down, uh, he made a six, and he wrote down a four. And I said, how, how are you getting four there? Because we were betting total strokes. He's like, oh, once in a while, I can like take a four for a six. I'm like, well, so sure oh. I, but I play by the pool. So It's not about <laughs> the money, because he doesn't even take your money sometimes. And then he always buys, he he always gets a big table, big round table for lunch, and he buys 20 cheeseburgers and 20 fries and Diet Cokes and ice cream, and anybody can come up and eat with him. And so he's quite a character, but it's all about telling the world that he kicked your ass, and I don't know why he has to do that, because this psychiatrist explained to me, he said, losing to him, or not being number one to him, is like someone someone like dragging their fingernails down a chalkboard to you. He just can't stand it. Right. And so even if you beat him, and I have a few stories in the book about people that beat him <laughs> uh, oh. he's like, he won't pay you, he doesn't want to pay you. And when he finally pays you, he usually says this, which is, It's okay, I got a hot girlfriend and a white Rolls Royce. So there now he's he trying to say, Yeah, it's okay, I'm the president and you're a nobody that's literally what he has said to people. <laughs> oh
0: God. Um, oh, by the way, so before I forget this, I want to mention this to you. I, when we were talking last week, I talked about the fact that I'm not a very good golfer, but I've had a couple holes in one. And and Rocco Mediate, I told you, is a friend of mine. And I told Rocco what you had said to me, and right. he thought it was brilliant, and I did too. You said at that point, when you made those two holes in one, you were better than Tiger Woods. And by the way, that was a bit prophetic, there, Mister Riley, because Tiger happened to win the Masters oh, right.
3: yesterday. <laughs> So that was a good yeah. call on your and part. I almost made a hole-in-one no, on 16, which would have yeah. reversed the earth spin if that ball would have gone in.
0: <laughs> I think you might be right. You
3: know, but I, incredible.
0: I, I, just think, I, I just think the whole idea of uh, well, a lot of people do cheat at golf, or at least fudge things. I don't know if you've got, I, I, it's still cheating. Is it cheating if, if you're not gambling? Like, it is to me, but some people don't. Well, if i not gambling, what do you care? Well, it's not your score. Yeah, of course.
3: And and maybe I'm just too sensitive about this because I was brought up to say, my dad said, you don't cheat your friends. You don't cheat your opponent. Uh, Golf is a game of gentlemen. We call our own penalties. There's no no reps in golf, pretty much. And so I think it's just wrong. I always say golf is like bicycle shorts. It reveals a lot about a guy. And the way he (laughs) cheats... I mean, he kicks it yeah. out of the rough so often. The caddies at Ringfoot call him Pele. So I mean, <laughs> it, it says a lot. It's a window. It's a window into a guy's soul.
0: It is. Um, I remember Jason Day. I think it was at Harbortown. I'm not sure, but I think it was Harbortown several years ago. He took his club back and brushed the flora, or fauna, or whatever the hell you want to call whatever. What some little <laughs>
4: little hazard, leaf sticking out. Right, right
0: yeah right and he called it on himself it nobody would have noticed it that he did it they had to get a close-up of the shot showing that his that his club did brush the little overhanging leaf or or fawn or i don't know frond. i mean uh whatever it was but i'll never forget seeing that and i've been a huge fan of his ever since because he didn't have to lose that tournament he did lose it because he called a penalty on himself and i've loved that guy ever since
3: well that. That's a great story. It's nothing like Taylor, Irwin, 1983, British Open, Sandwich, England. I had a one-inch tap-in putt and just kind of knocked it in. And then when he signed his card, he said, no, no, I didn't shoot 68. I shot 69. I whiffed the first attempt at that. It just looked like he was, you know, getting ready to putt it. And so he missed the playoff in that major because he was on I mean, this happens all the time. Gary Player and Tom Watson don't even speak to each other now because Watson (laughs) accused Player of bending a weed once at a Skins game. I mean, not even it's just a silly season. And Player said he didn't do it, and Watson said, I saw you, and they haven't spoken since. So cheating in golf is, is like, I mean, he... Look, this is a guy that drives his cart on the green. So... He doesn't really oh. care about the rules. He doesn't care oh. what you think of him. He just wants to win. But by the way, he he ran during his campaign three or four times, said, I'm a champion. I beat the best golfers. Hardly anybody beats me. And I, so I looked it up. At Pebble Beach Pro-Am, he played in it seven times. He never came close to making the cut with his pro partner, even though four <clears throat> of the seven times his pro partner did make the cut. At the Lake Tahoe Celebrity Challenge, he played three yeah. times and never finished in the top half. And, of course, one time was the time at Tahoe where he fed both a porn star and a playmate. So maybe he was
0: tired. I don't know. Sure. He just it wore him out. He didn't have the energy. He didn't have the legs that he once <laughs> had. So it all makes sense to me. I don't know. I, I yeah. Rick, i got to ask you. i got to believe golfers are just buying your book by the dozens because this is what the game's all about. To read about this... To me, anyway, and like I said, uh, the best I ever was, I think I got to an 8 or 9 one time. It just wasn't good enough to even pay that close attention. But in general, I've always been around, you know, uh, 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 16, 18, 20. It depends on what year it is and if I'm paying attention or not. So I'm a very average golfer, but I still love the rules. I still love being out on the golf course and looking at the beauty of golf courses and what a wonderful time you have with your friend. It's all of that much more important to me than, than shooting a 71 or a 69 or whatever. I'd love to be able to do it. I can't do it. Yeah. So let me embrace the game, right?
3: You know, I can go down to Hennepin Street and go into a pawn shop and buy a trophy and inscribe my name and champion <laughs> on it. And then I can sign right. it up And I can put it on my fireplace mantle. But when I look in it closely, it reflects only the face of a faker. I'm just faking it. And so I say this in the book. Like, one of the great things about golf is trying to get better. Like, I played with Clinton, and he cheated, too, but in a completely different way, which is that he would hit four or five practice balls on every hole and not play them. But it's still cheating. But he wanted to get better. But Trump doesn't care about getting better. He, he instructs mm-hmm. his caddies to kick it out, throw it out of the water, throw it out of bunkers. So he's actually robbing himself of what you and I love about golf, which is yep. the day when you suddenly yep. and, and and really do break 80 or the day you, you make a birdie on the hardest hole on the course or the day you finally mm-hmm. hit the perfect sand shot. He never gets that. He's robbing himself of, of the true joy of golf, in my opinion.
0: That is exactly the way I feel. You don't know what playing golf is all about if you do things like that. You know, you just yeah, don't know what he's, playing I don't golf know what is. He's
3: playing, I play with him, and that isn't golf. It's not golf what he's playing. No, it's some kind no. of Trump typhoon. I always say when you're with Trump, he's the tornado, and you're the trailer, and you just hang on for dear life. <laughs> like I talked to James Patterson. You know the author, the author James Patterson.
0: I Absolutely, I played golf with him a couple
3: times. Yeah, he said, he's played with him a couple of times. And he's like, I, I said, what's it like? He goes, well, you're in three hours. There's Secret Service SWAT teams. There's a golf cart with a Scud missile in it. Um, you know, he doesn't putt out. He wants you to putt out. He's always 100 yards ahead of you, but it's really kind of fun. But it's not exactly golf. And I'm like, yeah, I guess not. But it's no, fine. It's, Just it's don't it's tell not. people you're a champion.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Like I said, the book, it's exactly the way I feel about the whole thing. Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains, Trump, Rick Riley, the author, the book is doing extremely well. This is a perfect, I think I brought it up to you before, final rounds uh, about a guy whose father's dying. It's a true story. The guy who took his father to all his favorite golf courses. This, this is shoulder to shoulder yeah. with that. That's my favorite golf book of all time, and this is what golf is all about to me. I, I love it, Rick. I think it's wonderful.
3: Well, you know, we're, uh, we're number six right now in the New York Times list, or as Trump would say, number one.
0: <laughs> Very good. That's a great way to close it out, Mr. Riley. Thank you so much for your time again. Always, always a pleasure to see your name on the docket. That was fun. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be back right after to this with the family. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Spring is here and there's no better time to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they want to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK Spring Savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today. Or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them I sent you and save $500 bucks on your LASIK.
5: Offer expires June 21st, 2019. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offers.
0: Uh, a little re reference I, I love interviewing Rick Riley. He's a great writer. he got a great sense of humor. Like I said, uh, I'm number six on the New York Times bestsellers list. According to Trump, though, I'm number one. <laughs> it was very funny. He mentioned James Patterson, and I, and I said, yeah, I played golf with him a couple times. Uh, and Andy and Alex will understand this. He was a member at Breakers West. Breakers Reese Jones was the name of the golf course. And uh, I showed up over there many, many years ago, just uh, going to play by myself. And I said, well, we've got another guy you can play with. He's not playing anybody. So uh, he says, hi, I'm James. And I said, I'm Tom. And, you know, we just had a really, really good time. And. We get off the golf course, and I said, he said, Tommy, I'll talk to you later. I said, nice, nice playing with you. I said, James, thanks a lot. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And the pro comes on. He goes, do you know who that was? And I said, yeah, James. He's a nice guy, really nice guy. And he goes, uh, that was James Patterson. James Patterson has written 114 New York Times bestsellers.
6: What? Yes. How, what?
0: 114.
6: I love his books. How do you do I do. Do that. That's
0: there's no way he could do it by himself. Not a that chance. That guy's no. richer
6: than no. anybody.
0: What well, I wonder what his net worth is. We uh, talked
6: to him. He wrote a kids' book or something, didn't
4: he? Yeah,
0: he did. Absolutely. Yeah. Or he absolutely did. That, but uh, I would uh, let's see. I'm gonna, I got to put in James Patterson's net worth because he has gotten have more money. Than gotten. Nicest guy in the world, by the way. Very. He's just really humble. Like, he never told me. Yeah, I'm that phenomenal writer. Uh, you
6: know, can you imagine how nice it must have been just to be able to go and have a? Do, yeah. You know, without, oh, I love your books. Oh, yeah. I hated this one. Oh, why'd you do that to that character? I mean, it would be just so nice to just be a person for a day and be able to go golf. I'm sure he
0: appreciated that. By the way, I looked it up. James Patterson, uh, as of uh, April 4th, 19, uh, 2017, was worth $750 million and he makes $90 million a year, so he's now a billionaire.
6: Holy much. Lord. <laughs>
0: That's pretty good for writing You should have made
6: better friends with him. Yeah, James,
0: why are we hanging out, man? Well, I talk to him about Borrowed five the jet. times a year. Hey, can we borrow one of your five jets?
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah. He 114 bestsellers, and I think Alex, you're you're right. He, there's no way he could write all of the by himself. No. He probably does the final the final read through and whatever. Yeah. But he's written a lot of books. 114 bestsellers. That is un, unbelievable. Uh, great guy, though. That's. Oh, by the way, he's still not the richest author in the world. You know who that is, don't you, Andy? Richest author. J.K. Rowling, who is the richest? You got it. That's exactly who it is. Which is depressing, but hey, yeah, it is rather depressing. I mean, Harry Potter's uh, good, but it's not that good. It's not richest author ever born. Good. No, no I, you were
1: I, pretty
6: I into remember. it when you were twelve. Oh, and... I love Harry Potter.
0: Okay, you ready? Top ten richest authors in the world. John Grisham, number ten. Barbara Taylor Bradford, number nine. You got Pleasant Roland. I never even heard of her. I don't even know who any of these, are these people are. <laughs> number eight. Nora Roberts is number seven. You heard of Nora. Danielle yeah. Steele, you've heard of her. Yeah.
4: Uh,
0: Stephen King is number five. Mm. He's worth $400 million. Paulo Coelho. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Paulo Coelho is. He's a Brazilian novelist, but I, I never no even idea. heard of him. Candy Spelling. What the hell can Candy spe- Candy Spelling is a net worth of $600 million. Well, wait a minute, though. Who? Not all of her fortune is from her work as an author. Yeah, it's uh, when Aaron Spelling died and left uh, it to her. So this is a you fake Cost basically. Yeah, apparently apparently, this is a fake... James Patterson is number two, and J.K. Rowling is number one. Those two those two are accurate. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was just... It was so nice. I, I didn't realize it, because at the time, he was probably only worth about, you know, $650 million. You wouldn't have thought the guy... It, you thought oh, maybe the guy makes a couple hundred grand a year doing what he does? Nicest guy, just a, kind of a goofy-looking guy. You know what I mean? Just kind of is nicest guy in the world. But he just he didn't. There was no pretension. There was no hey, you should know who I am. I'm the greatest of all. It it's, was amazing. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I will tell you that. And Rick, I'd love to play. I'm gonna have to get a hold of Rick and play golf with him someday. That'd be fun. <clears throat> I'd, I think I'd have a ball doing that.
6: Show up at the manse.
0: Yeah, show up at the Mance when I'll do that. Hey, Rick, let me in. James Patterson, let me in. Come on. You know, uh James Patterson is no longer a member at uh Breakers Reese Jones. He's now a member. Where? Take a guess. In in West Palm Beach, Florida. Where is he a member? My Trump
6: International.
0: Uh, <laughs> He's a member at Trump International. That costs like
6: a half a million to get into, doesn't it? Uh, or it's five, more? yeah,
0: five hundred grand to get in.
6: Just to play golf.
0: Just to get in. Yep.
5: Yeah, I, right.
6: Man, you must just have money to like to burn. Well, speaking of Trump,
5: he has landed in Minneapolis, and now he's oh my at God. some trucking thing. Trucking? <laughs> Seriously,
6: yeah. how some many people trucking. called in sick today because they can't handle it? I'm sure there's people <laughs> just dying in the streets because Trump's in town.
0: Mm-hmm. Yo know, by the way. John Lassman is the producer of the morning show. You can tell what a commie he is because he didn't even bring it up on the show. You know, I I just, whatever he brings up is what I read. So I don't think about what stories we're going to do. And I realized after the show was over, he didn't even mention the president was coming to Minnesota. (laughs) No. Okay, yeah, commie. Way to go, commie yeah. What do you think? What do you mean, well, yeah?
1: (laughs) Maybe. I'm just saying, he's a communist.
0: Uh, On
5: a lighter note, I hear you went and saw a movie this last weekend, Tom.
0: Oh, what a great recommendation, by the way. Uh, Catherine and I did go see Shazam. Mm -hmm. Uh, We both loved it. We loved it. We thought it was really, really good. It was too long. It's two hours and 12 minutes.
1: It was
4: not
0: too long. Two hours and
2: 12 minutes?
0: Anything along It moved
1: along. Child movie length (laughs) my dad's like it's too long he's the attention span of a four-year-old (laughs) Jeff.
0: hey the original dumbo was 64 minutes that's all i know
4: exactly
0: love it no shazam was really good the it's kind of an anti-superhero movie the villain in it is really scary uh shazam is wonderful the kids who were in the movie with him are wonderful yeah they were Mm -hmm. very very funny when he he finds out he finds out he has all these powers that he didn't know he had, know. which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was a great recommendation, Cassie. We both loved it.
5: Yeah. Catherine, I, you loved yeah. it. I'm she gonna, already knows. I already yeah, right. I'm going to take, take Dave to it this afternoon because he hasn't seen it yet because he was on and the he'll road. He'll love it, I think. So I'm yep. like, oh, we have to go see Shazam because I, I was cracking up laughing in the movie theater. I. Was yeah. Not ex- yeah, it was actually I had, funny. I had low expectations because it kind of looked cheesy in mm-hmm. the trailers, but it was a pleasant surprise when I saw it, and I can't wait to see it again. I think it's probably one of my all-time favorite superhero movies as of now.
0: Yeah, I could see that. would be for me because I don't like superhero movies, mm-hmm. but this anti-superhero movie. It doesn't mean he's not a hero in it, yeah. but he doesn't take himself very seriously. <laughs> I will <won't> tell <laughs> you. Yeah. It's kind of like... Uh, what's the other one? Deadpool. Yep. Yeah,
5: Yeah, Deadpool. yeah I like the
0: first one of those two. Yeah. It's
5: just more family-friendly humor than Deadpool. <laughs> like I wouldn't yeah. take a kid below fifteen to see Deadpool. This one you could Which take a ten-year-old is- no.
1: to.
6: Which yeah. one was Bruce Willis in?
0: A superhero movie? Yeah.
1: No, was he was in Unbreakable. Oh, you were thinking yeah, that's yeah, not a in Glass superhero movie. Glass. I mean, no, technically, technically, it, it is. Like Glass, but, but it's not like a.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah that's true i that, didn't yeah, yeah, like
1: glass <laughs> i didn't like
0: it well glass was the last one wasn't it yeah,
6: yeah that was the one with
1: yeah.
0: yeah all three yeah. of them
6: i know he's running around in that coat it's like this does not me Ugh, i didn't like it. well <laughs> plus the fact <laughs> all three of them
0: just walk the all three of them just walk through the movie Yeah, so they i'm going, really going to go did. downstairs and then i'm going to crush his skull okay a, go crush his skull which
6: is a bummer because oh, they're God. all three really good actors
0: yeah, they are. But they but they, do. they we're
6: not into it.
0: Oh, by the way, in the Simpsons last week, they got. Oh, I Simpsons. love it when they take shots of people. Krusty, Krusty, Lou, right, that's doing it, and 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 Marge ends up producing a, a successful TV show, and he Krusty's not not happy with Marge, and he walks in his trailer <laughs> and he goes, "You know who's completely impossible to work with?" And one of the kids goes, "Bruce Willis." <laughs> 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 but my favorite thing in the mo- in the show was Krusty Lou Productions. She's doing a show and everybody loves it. And Krusty says, "And this is a commentary on how out of whack we are with media in this country." It says they just, the ratings just came back for the show, and you set the all time modern record for viewership, zero point six. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> it was very fun. <laughs> That, we've talked about that on this show. I've talked about it on the morning show. This world has got to adjust to the fact that the demos are not what they used to be. And the fact that for television you want to hold on to an 1849 demo, you're insane. You're going to go broke because there are no – do you know anybody under 40 that watches television? I mean, I'm talking about broadcast television. Do you? you rarely. We DVR things. Mm-hmm you DVR things but you do watch it. Yeah, Alex, d- do you watch any broadcast television?
1: We dan DVR's things for him. Well like what though? 60 minutes in 2020
0: <laughs> oh, he likes wow! The likes the news is, he, is
1: he eighty? He's the he's oldest the 80 80. man in the world. Yeah, he eats ice cream <laughs> and watches sixty minutes <laughs> in twenty twenty. and Shark Tank. And Shark Tank. And Shark Tank. Oh,
5: and
0: Those Shark are his Tank three too.
1: shows that he watches.
5: I'm okay. like You're eighty. The oldest I man. Never, ever. I never watch anything live. Everything's DVR because no. no. so I can't watch. I'm too busy to sit down yeah. and I can't watch. Can't stand things. commercials.
1: I watch things on Hulu. I don't watch anything.
5: And then, like, also when. You know, my work schedule is until 8, what's what's on past 8 o'clock on a normal yeah. night, you know? <laughs> Anything <Yeah>. you DVR'd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. like, you have to DVR now. Yeah,
1: I watch things on Hulu. Kind of I don't. I wouldn't even no, I need, like, a yeah. television screen. I watch everything on, like, when I do watch something, it's always on my iPad. Well, see. In a dark room with a sleeping you are, baby next to me.
0: <laughs> what you guys are talking about is making my point. The fact that you won't watch watch commercials makes yeah. every one of those TV series a, worthless to an advertiser. Yeah. Nobody watches your commercials. Why would you buy them?
6: Yeah. Well, the only thing they can do is do, they can do product placement. I say, yeah. They can yeah, do they some, can, some yeah. nefarious way of getting you to buy their stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, I do love. I love Ooh, that definitely. when they first started doing product placement, I just thought it was wonderful. Go to a movie and the guy would go, "Hey sir, can I help you?" "Yes, I'd like a Pepsi Light." <laughs> like, what? Wait a minute. Yeah, that's I don't know, they're good, but I don't know they're good enough to just call it out in a movie.
5: Have you noticed too, like when we watch Will and Grace, all of a sudden it'll Mm -hmm. pause in the middle of the show and it'll say, We'll be back right after this one minute commercial break. So they're even letting you know how long the commercial break is. So you're like, Oh a minute's not that long. So then you don't fast forward. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's
0: exactly it.
5: Forewarning you how long the
0: commercial
5: break's gonna be. So you have one yeah, minute think, to go to the bathroom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> something.
0: I yeah. think that that's exactly exactly the problem they're having is that even though you are under forty and you do watch television, you don't watch it live no. and you don't watch the commercial. No one well, does. Well, even
6: I mean, we always record everything, yeah, and if we, we want to sit down and watch something, we always look on what's the what's on the recorded list first.
2: Yeah, we do. It's true. That's yeah. very very that's what true.
6: We
0: do. So the only thing that's watched on television by people of all ages would be sports. That's it. Mm hmm. The Super Bowl, the World Series, you know, the NHL Championship, the Stanley Cup, the NBA Championships, uh, college games. You'll watch that live on television. And, and even that, i got to be honest with you, when I watch the Vikings, I record it and sure go, go in an hour late.
6: Yeah.
4: So I
0: don't watch any of the commercials on football even. And you yeah. zip,
6: I don't even understand how you do that. You zip through the plays yeah. and somehow you still know when to stop it and watch it, I'm like, I don't know what's happening.
0: Well, <laughs> well in football,
1: <laughs> Apparently. football, they're so much like just they're standing around. Yeah. They're just looking at each yeah. other. Yeah. They're
6: having
5: yeah. a discussion. let review they're that play blah, blah, for blah, five blah. Blah. It's it's minutes. Probably so, like yeah. half of the the time frame is of them just standing around. With yeah. And exactly. you yelling at your
6: TV. That's,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I do remember we were the first ones. I believe, in the in the state of Minnesota to have, what was it called, TiVo?
6: TiVo. It was yeah. called
0: TiVo. And, oh. and the guy contacted me and <laughs> said, oh, yep. I want to <laughs> give you a TiVo. Sorry. I want to give you a TiVo. So people, I say, I got this TiVo, and they said, what is that? I said, you zip through the commercials. Well, how do you do that? I said, you record it. What do you mean you record it on, like, a tape player? You can
6: pause live TV. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. I was it,
6: like, I'm all about this.
0: They had no idea what the hell I was talking about. I will never forget. But it took them a hell of a long. Remember how when they installed the TiVo, how long it took? Because there were all these wires to everything? Mm.
6: I don't remember that. Oh God! I just yes, remember it loving it so very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you set the tone for everybody else. So it all worked out in the end. But yeah, that's one of the problems that TV has: is that people don't want to watch the commercials. And I did own my, the the uh, what is it? The Elr Cadillac Elr I had. Oh yeah. That had delay for radio, so you could you could pause radio and then zip through the commercials. My mm-hmm. it did my it out, my Outback has that. Interesting. Oh, oh. it does. Yeah, okay.
1: like yeah. if I and if I talk to somebody on the phone like if somebody calls me or i call them the radio pauses and then starts back where it was before i took the call really yeah huh. within That's good. within a like a couple minute gap like if i were on the phone huh. for 15 minutes i don't think it would be that long but interesting yeah it's kind of cool yeah
0: We shall take a break and be right back in a couple of minutes. David Brown, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the wild definitive saga of Rock's greatest supergroup right after this with the family. All right, they're just calling uh, your mom. Okay, for they'll the guest. answer it right now. So apparently, you guys didn't answer the phone. Yes. He, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So he's—they're calling in right now. They're on. So David Brown's got. They're on. Oh, okay, good. I'm on. David. I'm here. Good. I want yeah. to make sure. Sorry about that. I wanted to make sure we got you on okay. because I'm holding your book in my hands. Uh, I should mention, by the way, that I've been in radio for 48 years, and then uh, about a six-year period right in the middle. I worked at Capitol Records, uh, so this this book is very, no, very I, special to me. i, I got to start, David, by telling you, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, the wild definitive saga of rock's greatest supergroup. Uh, David Crosby is one of my favorite people to interview because he goes off on tangents. It's just, it's wonderful. When he gets something in his heart and in his head, he definitely has to tell everybody, so he's a great interview because he's very passionate about his beliefs Uh, and then Steven stills, uh, last time we had him on, I was talking to him and we were having a great conversation. And then one of the other people on the show interrupted, to ask this not very good question. And Steven Stills says to him, why don't you shut up and let me talk to Tom. (laughs) (laughs) It was very funny. It was very funny. I don't know. I, uh, great book. I'm like I said, I got the book right here in front of me, David Brown, um, How long did this take to to write? This Was it easy to write, first of all, and and did it take a long time? Because getting all those people in different – look, Graham Nash, another great guy. Neil Young, very interesting guy. Anybody that, that has a house in his barn wired for sound when he's sitting on the lake, I love that.
2: Uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, so. all
7: such iconic, they're all such iconic characters, you know, and, and and they've been that way to me since I was a teenager, you know, following them in the 70s, and even this was like after mm-hmm. they broke up the first time, and they were like already legends, and uh, I think that's, you know, you mentioned earlier about Crosby, just a spewing like that, I think it's one of the things that we've always uh, responded to about these guys, they, they just like mm-hmm. put it out there, like how they're feeling, whether it's in interviews, or sometimes they would even... Take on each other, you know, to uh, you know, to kind of their foibles. I mean, there was something uh, always very human, I think, about these guys that that also added to their kind of legend as well as the music. You know, we could kind of relate to their ups and downs. And and to answer your question, you know, I've been working on the book about three years. Um, mm-hmm. and although I've been you know following it for so long, I felt like the story was kind of ingrained in my brain. You know, the, the whole, whole you know yeah. The, the albums, the breakups—I mean, I was kind of living that in real time, you know, as a fan, going back to going back to the '70s, you know—and and and, um, and so it, you know, that that saga, which is quite a remarkable 50-year saga, has been just like in my head the whole time. It was just fun to kind of just be able to put it out there, and, you know, on the pages.
0: No, I could see that. Obviously, it's a labor of love reading the book. It, it just, you could tell that you admire all four of them. And I understand why you would admire all four of them. I've not spent a lot of time with Neil Young. I talked to him once. But Crosby, Nash, and Stills, I suppose I should say it in the right order, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, because that was the original group before they added Neil <laughs> or,
7: Young. Or Stills, but, or, or Stills, Crosby, Nash, as they were supposed to be called in the beginning.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Tell me about that.
7: <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's one of those things you just find, you know, I interviewed tons of people, but I also, like, went back and read tons of old articles about them, and they started recording the first Crosby, Stills, and Nash record in February of 69, and that same month, there was an article in, in Billboard, one of the, the music trade magazines, announcing this project, and it said something like, in the studio recording in L.A. are Stills, Crosby, Nash, and it was with hyphens in between each name, and I went, Stills, Crosby, Nash? What what the heck is that? So when I interviewed David and Graham and. Uh, I kind of brought that up, and they said, yeah, that was, you know, that was our original name. Stephen wanted, that's how he, that's what he wanted it to be. Uh, but mm-hmm. we talked him out of it, because it doesn't sound good. You know, Crosby still it just sounds better. And then, you know, Crosby, who's not, who's not uh, lacking in confidence, uh, added to me. He said, well, also, you know, I was, I was, I was in the birds. I had the hits, you know, so people knew who I well, was. <laughs> like, you well, should come
0: first. Well. So... I tell you what, though, so, yeah, Buffalo was, Springfield uh, and and the Hollies, those, those are pretty good groups, too. I mean, let's not get our, I Look, I was a, a huge Birds fan, so I know exactly what you're talking about there. But Buffalo Springfield, fantastic. Uh, the Hollies, you get on the list. Mm-hmm. These guys, as they say, have the chops uh, and, and always did since the, what, the early 60s, right? Right,
7: right, totally. Uh mm-hmm and 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 yet they created this whole new sound um but the three of them that was just so fascinating that didn't you know when you heard that first Crosby, Stills, Nash ash record you didn't think oh they're they're ripping off the birds or they're ripping off the springfield or the Hollies. Right. it was like this whole whole new thing that they created which is very unusual usually when you have for, you know former members of groups forming a new group you hear a lot of the the, the old stuff in there somewhere or it's a watered-down version. And that wasn't the case at all with these guys. It's like, you know, thanks largely to Stills, who played most of the instruments on that first record, they, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, from the harmonies to the songs to, to a song like Wooden Chips, song saw Guinevere, like, you know, we've, we've all heard, we've heard that song so many times <laughs> now in 50 years, but you kind of forget how, how unusual that was in terms of the, chord, the chords and the harmonies and the structure of it, and there weren't drums and... That was just such an unusual song, and it came out in almost nowhere in some way, even though they had all these other bands.
0: No, something just occurred to me. When I was a young teenager, uh, I was sitting with a friend, and he was smoking pot. I was not smoking pot, but he was, and 8 Miles High came on the radio. And he said, man, I love getting high to this song. And I said, that's not a coincidence that you love getting high <laughs> to 8 Miles High, okay? <laughs> <laughs> great song, though. I mean, what a great song. There this you song. go. I,
7: they're just wonderful. And, of course, the jokey first name of Crosby and... It was, Crosby and Phils were a group first, and then Nash came later. Mm-hmm. Crosby and Phils were, they, they were jokingly going to call themselves the Frozen Noses. Which was not a drug <laughs> reference at all,
0: of course. But, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> God, how, were they were, were they accessible to last. you while you were writing this? Uh, while you were writing the book, did, did, were they accessible to you all of them?
7: Um, I some of them. I mean, I got Crosby and Nash uh, for for several interviews each, and that was great. You know, Stevens writing his own book, what I was told, so mm-hmm. he wants to save everything. I've interviewed him in the past, but you know, he wants to, and I kind of understand that, although it was disappointing. Uh, so, and then I, you know, talked to, God, about a hundred people from people like Judy Collins and Roger McGuinn of the Birds and Mickey Hart and oh, the Grateful Dead, yeah. who hung out with them a lot, all the way to, you know, former managers and, uh, some of their, some of their backup musicians and stuff who were with them over the years. And, uh, so, yeah, kind of got a whole, uh, an array of voices in there to kind of tell this, uh, story, from, uh, as it, as it went through all the different eras too, and all the ups and downs and, all the drama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of people along the way com- willing to comment on that.
0: Yeah, I could see that. You know, you talk about the responsibility of being in a band like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. The world was changing. You know, all that death that happened in the 60s, you know, JFK and Martin Luther King, and you just keep go down the list. There was all this turmoil. There was a war going on. Uh, Ohio obviously happened. uh, uh and then all of a sudden, you look at this, and they, they did realize they have a responsibility to talk about this whole thing. It's not just, you know, let's go and have a date. And there's nothing wrong with the, you know, obviously, uh, the Beatles were great at the date uh, songs about, you know, uh, seeing this beautiful girl and wanting to maybe spend some time with her. But these guys stepped right up and said, hey, look, we got to talk about what's really going on in the world, as did other bands, but it was a hell of an era to be a teenager, right. and I'll tell you that, David.
7: Oh God! I can't imagine. You know, um, you know they were. You know, uh, I mean, Crosby has always, always said and said to me. You know, they saw themselves as like, sort of the, you know, the town crier of the time, especially on something like Ohio. Uh-huh. And I think that was also that was also part of the 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 immense bond that they had with their fans early on. It wasn't just that they were sort of like they were four very different guys, like the Beatles, and they had great music. But they had they had these songs from Chicago. To Ohio, uh, you know, still said for what it's worth from Buffalo, Springfield. That mm-hmm. kind of addressed the turmoil of the time, long time gone. Written right after Bobby Kennedy was killed, you know that right. uh, they were reacting right. to the times. Not in every song, but but in enough songs that made this made them, you know, be that you know voice of a generation is such a cliche to say that, but but they really were for for a year or two there. It was really intense, and and when they and then when they started to break up, when the rumors circulating they were breaking up in 1970 you know there was at least one fan who went to graham nash at one of their shows and he was like please don't break up we need you you know and you know things mm-hmm. like that that's a that's a very intense thing to hear you know and it shows it shows what they tapped into at that moment it was really powerful and huge and, um, it was you know they sold three million records back then which was you know, as you know that's a lot of records in 1970 Three mm-hmm. million <laughs> records you know so they they uh, they rode that
0: zeitgeist for sure. So people would understand. Here are a bunch of guys that were in the Birds and in the Hollies and in Buffalo Springfield and all. But you look at the charts back in those days. Like you got the Beatles, you got the Rolling Stones, you got Eric Burden and the Animals. You got you keep going down the list. But we can compete. I mean, how many great groups back in Jimi Hendrix, nineteen sixty-seven? It was. I'm surprised there was enough room on the charts for all these really, really good bands because they were all really good bands. Oh, do I think that, David, because I, I, I was a teenager? Do you think that's why? Why?
7: <laughs> What's funny is I was actually looking at a lot of uh, the charts from around this time, and it was actually funny to see what was uh, competing with all these groups. And you know, You'd see that stuff, and you'd also see Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, yeah. and you'd see uh, That's right. Sinatra records—you know, all that stuff in the top ten, fighting it out with with uh, you know with, with with Hendrix and all those people. That's almost funnier now to look in retrospect. You know. yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I could see that it's, would be it's, kind uh, of—you got Frank Sinatra doing something. Well, the Beatles didn't do a good enough job. I'm going to do something. <laughs>
7: right. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, he did, a, he did uh, his, his infamous version of Mrs. Robinson, you know, Cuckoo Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah oh, yeah.
0: I think they made fun of that on Saturday Night Live, as a matter of fact. If I remember correctly, they did make fun of Cuckoo Kachoo and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <Coo-coo-ca-choo>,
7: <laughs> right, right. Cuckoo Kachoo, he, 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 this, this is. Yeah, he, he, changed, he changed the line to uh, messing with that young stuff like you do. Uh, without, I don't know if you even got Paul Simon's permission to do that but, yeah.
0: yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea anyway but uh, no. look, I, yeah. <laughs> I love talking to people talking to people about this era because as I said I was a young teenage boy and the world was in turmoil and everybody was dying and getting shot and they were died older friends who were being shipped home dead uh, from the Vietnam War it was a very stressful time to be a teenager and and People right. like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young made it a hell of a lot more livable. Not, not palatable, I'm sure, but a lot more. You could at least see, hey, you know what, uh, maybe there is something in the future. These guys actually care about, and I think that's, it, that's the takeaway I have from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. They actually did care about what, where society was headed, where the United States was headed. And at least that was the impression I got. Uh, Do you feel that way as well?
7: they do they did and i think i think they still do in a sense you know they're still mm-hmm. kind of uh you know politically active in their ways and and doing benefits for different causes and you know um when when the uh, happened a few years ago you know crosby and ash happened to be in new york uh they're not speaking mm-hmm. to each other now but but back in 2011 i believe that was they were and they they just grabbed their guitars and jumped in a cab and went down there and just sang for the the people who were out there protesting just to Enter, entertain the troops, almost you know, in a way. So I think that that still lives on in them, even though they're they're all dispersed and you know, it's hard to tell tell if there'll even be another reunion tour at this point. But I mean, I think that's really just a part of their uh, uh, you know their whole being. And, and in fact, the last tour they did with Neil was 2006, where he he'd put out an album called Living with War with his kind of anti. Mm-hmm. Uh, anti Iraq George Bush songs, and so they were singing those songs at night, you know songs like let 's impeach the president and then during the day, stills was out doing campaigning for you know democratic candidates for local you know congressional seats and so you know it's it, it's just it's just part of part of who they are you know as well as sort of entertainers you know and they kind of kind of carried that with them and and I think you're right i mean I think that you know I, I was asking um one of, their, one of their original fans for the book who I knew, well, you know, I was, I was nine when Crosby, Silver, Nash, the first album, came out. So I vaguely mm-hmm. remember it, but I wasn't, you know, a teenager. And I said to this friend of mine who was older, I said, well, what, why did that record connect? And he goes, you know, you have to understand, the year before we had Bobby Kennedy killed, and Martin Luther King, and the Democratic mm-hmm. Convention, and yep. Nixon gets elected, and here's this beautiful record with these harmonies and it, it sort of, you know, it was an uplifting record at the time when we all needed that, you know. And
0: anyway, Absolutely. That's,
7: that's probably right.
0: Yeah. No, it is.
7: Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young.
0: Yeah. Crosby, steals Nash, and Young, the wild definitive saga of Rock's greatest supergroup. David Brown, the book's doing very well, I trust, because it is a hell of a good book. I appreciate your time today, David. Thanks very much.
7: Thanks, Tom. Much appreciate your
0: time. Have a good one. Absolutely. You too. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.